Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Fellowship, so glad that y'all are here. As you can tell, I am not Pastor Will. Okay, he's going to be back next Sunday. Megan just told you about it. He's kicking off our Christmas series entitled Emmanuel. It's going to be so good. It's going to be every Sunday in December, culminating with our Christmas Eve services. It's always so good. I love our Christmas series because Pastor Will takes a message or an idea, a story that we think we are so familiar with, and he unpacks it in a different way each and every year, and I love it so much. So make sure you come back and join us for that. Now, if we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Chris, and I am the college pastor around here, and normally I get to engage with you guys pre-service on the screens or online, and it's great, but it's nice to be here in the flesh and see your faces and see all of your smiles, which is just a lot of fun. It's always an honor and a privilege to be up here on this stage. Now, now that you know who I am, I'd like to know a little bit about who's in the, lo- who's in the room and who's joining us online. And so I just have one simple question for you. If you're joining us online, you can jump in the chat and let us know. If you're here in the room, you can raise your hand. Do we have any campers in the room? Any campers? Okay, yeah, wow, some excited campers too. Okay, I see some hands, yeah. Now I'm going to give a little disclaimer. When I'm talking about camping, I'm not talking about roughing it in an RV, okay? I'm talking about camping, like sleeping on the ground, no electricity, no running water, like a rock is poking you in the back the whole time while you're sleeping. Like, those are my memories of camping, and and it was in one of these bad boys, right? Like one of these tents, maybe you've stayed in something like this before. Hopefully it was a little bigger than this one. This is pretty small. But, But this is what I think of when I think of camping, we, we would go camping pretty frequently when I was younger, and we would get the family together every summer, and we would head to the Ozark Mountains. Check out this picture. Yeah, beautiful. Now, I didn't take this picture because I was like seven, and smartphones were not a thing, okay? But we would go find a camping site in the Ozark Mountains with parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Man, so many stories So much time around the campfire, so many s'mores and camp songs, and it was just a great time. I got to be honest, I said we were roughing it, and for the most part we were, but there were a couple people in our family that weren't the roughing it kind of people, okay? So I had an aunt in particular, she was not a roughing it girl, and they drove this conversion van and they pulled a trailer behind it, and I swear that trailer belonged to Mary Poppins because they would pull up to the campsite, and they just kept pulling stuff out of the trailer. I'm like, how did that even fit in your trailer? They would pull a generator out, and then I remember one summer, they pulled out this window AC unit, and they like set it right in the door and zipped up the tent to keep their tent cool. I'm like, that, that's not camping. <laughs> to each their own, I guess. But I don't know if you knew this or not, camping is, is actually an ancient practice. Camping has been going on for thousands of years. If we look back in the Bible, early on in Genesis and Exodus, we see all of these stories of people in tents, and they would take their tents with them, and they would move from place to place. And you're like, Chris, that wasn't camping, that was living. I understand that, okay? But I had to figure out, how am I going to get from talking about camping to talking about where we're going, and there's a tent on the stage, and so I just said, 
I'm just going to go for it. So that was my effort at just going for it, okay? So hopefully you went with me. But camping, Moses was a big camping guy, okay? He loved tents. In fact, he made a special tent, and it was called the Tent of Meeting. I don't know if you've heard of this tent. It sounds kind of ominous. Like you thought getting called into your boss's office or the principal's office was bad, right? Imagine getting a call. Hey, Moses would like to see you. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Where is he? He's in the tent of meeting. Oh, okay. Uh, can you imagine what would be going through your mind in that moment? We see the tent of meeting was actually a really special place. Not just anyone could go into the tent of meeting because Moses would go into the tent and he would close the door behind him. And in this space, when he was in this tent, not, not this tent, y'all figured that out. But when he was in this space, God would talk to him. And then he would come out of the tent of meeting and he would tell everyone what God had said. We see an example of this in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 7. It says this, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch until Moses disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Check this out. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This moment was a big deal. It says that when people saw Moses heading out towards the tent of meeting, how did they respond? They would go and they would get in their own tent and they would stand in the door and they would wait. And they would watch and they would wonder, what is God going to say to us today? Right? Because God had selected, hand-selected Moses to be his spokesperson, to be his ambassador, to be his messenger. And so when God wanted to talk to the people, he called Moses to the tent. And Moses went inside. God spoke to Moses. Moses came out. He told the people what God said. If the people wanted to talk to God or they had a request or they needed something from God, they would go to Moses. And they'd be like, hey, Moses, can you go and talk to God for us? Can you go ask him this thing? Can you take him this thing? The tent of meeting was a really, really big deal. And this pattern would repeat itself over and over and over, literally for thousands of years, because there were messengers before Moses, and there were messengers after Moses. Now, it's not like this anymore, and we're going to talk about why in a minute, but can you imagine if this were still the system today? Like, just think about it for a second, that you need someone else to go and talk to God on your behalf, that you need an intermediary. Now, it might kind of sound appealing, right? Because there are times where I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to talk to God or what I'm supposed to do in this moment. And so it kind of sounds appealing to let someone else go do that for me. But let's play that out a little bit. How many of y'all are married? Any married people? Okay, yeah, hands everywhere. So I'm married, right? I've been married for 12 and a half years to my amazing wife, Alicia. And I, I, I'm thinking... If I treated my relationship with Leisha like this, this dynamic where I needed someone else to communicate for me, it, it takes me back to middle school. 
You know when you would like pass a note to the girl and be like, do you like me, circle yes or no? It's like, what if, what if I passed a note to my wife? Hey, would you like me to pick up dinner after work? Circle one, yes or no. Or, or what if I went to Megan, who was on the stage, who's one of my wife's best friends. What if I went to Megan and I said, hey, Megan, could, could you go and talk to Alicia and just like see how her day's going and see how she's feeling? Like, am I on her good side? Like, how's this going, right? That would not go well. It would not be good for our relationship. It, it would not create intimacy and closeness it would not be a meaningful relationship with my wife if I always used someone else to speak on my behalf. And yet for thousands of years, people looked to God's messenger and they said, hey, you, you go in the tent and you talk to God and then come back and tell us what he says. It's almost as if the people were passing a note to God through Moses that said, hey, hey, God, are you upset with us? Circle one, yes or no. Even though this isn't the system anymore, I think sometimes we kind of revert back to some old habits. We kind of fall back into this pattern and, and we let other people talk to God on our behalf, we, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I do this. I come here on a Sunday morning to listen to Pastor Will to hear what God said to him. And absolutely, please come back. Please keep doing that. God uses this environment and these moments in our life all the time. But I do this in other ways too, right? I go buy books to read what God said to someone else. And I listen to podcasts to hear what God said to someone else. And I watch sermons online to listen and watch to see what God said to someone else. And God uses all of those things. But it's like one of those 2 a.m. infomercials that I used to see when I was a little kid and I was supposed to be asleep. And, and the person on the infomercial would be like, but wait, there's more. That's where we're at in the story, right? Like we're in this place where it's, there's more that's offered to us besides just relying on someone else to go into the tent and talk to God on our behalf. I, I read an article a few weeks ago that talked about this exact idea and the author, Simber Cummins, she labeled this as borrowed intimacy. She talked about how in our human nature, it's so tempting and inviting for us to borrow someone else's spiritual intimacy, to borrow from their time with God, to borrow from them talking to God and steal it for ourselves. But if we're not careful, we look up and that's the only form of communication or contact we've had with God because we've been borrowing it from someone else. She says this in the article, we cannot borrow spiritual intimacy with God from the conversations we're having with others. Conversations about God, although incredibly beautiful, beneficial, and necessary in their own right, are not conversations with God. It's tempting, I get it, I do this, to come into this place and to want to borrow from Pastor Will's spiritual intimacy, to borrow from what God said to him. And, and it is beautiful, beneficial, and necessary in its own right. But there is more. There's more that is offered to us. The script has changed. Let's look at a verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who 
Seek him. You see, everything changed with Jesus. Jesus became the intermediary. Jesus stepped in and replaced Moses and every messenger that had gone before him and every messenger that came after him. Jesus stepped in and in an instant he said, hey, you don't have to wait for someone else to go back into the tent. He showed us what it looked like to have a personal relationship with God. And everything changed in this moment. Everything looked different. And we see this over and over and over. In Hebrews 4, 6, it says that you and I can approach God. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. In, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. It reminds us who we're looking at, who we're focusing on. It says keeping our eyes on Jesus, not looking to someone else. We're not looking to Moses anymore. We're not looking to someone else to go into the tent and, and, and speak on our behalf, but we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. If we're not careful, here's what happens sometimes. I think sometimes we're more interested in meeting with Moses than we are in meeting with God. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be like that anymore. Like, I reward those who seek me. If you'll keep your eyes on me, the champion who initiates and perfects your faith, the invitation for you and I today is to look to Jesus. And as we just saw, God rewards that kind of behavior. He likes it. it, it he, he engages with it. But if I were to ask you this morning, are you a God seeker? You might be like, maybe? Like, I don't know. That's kind of a weird way to put it. God seeker? Like, churchgoer, Yes. Christian, yes, maybe, but God seeker, like, I don't know. What does it even mean to be a God seeker? When I was growing up, I would hear this idea of seek, and immediately the first thing that came to mind was like a professional Christian. Have you ever met one of those, right? The guy who it seems like all he does is go into his office and close the door and just read the Bible from cover to cover, and he doesn't come out until he finishes. He comes out eats lunch, and then he goes right back in and he does it again, right? Every interaction you have with them, it's just like, oh my gosh, you must be a professional Christian. Or the grandma who wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and gets on her knees to pray for every person that she's ever met in her entire life, and then tomorrow she does it again. And those are wonderful things, obviously, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make time for that. I don't know what that looks like in my life because I'm busy. And, and I'm good praying for like 30 seconds and then I get distracted. Anybody else? Is that just me? Like my, my phone buzzes or my kids pulling on my pants or I start thinking about what am I going to eat for lunch or what do I need to get at the grocery store or what's the next appointment on my calendar or where, am we, or where are we going to be for Christmas or, oh my gosh, we haven't put the decorations up yet, on and on and on and on and on. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be in this space and I'm supposed to be like praying and pausing and thinking about God and all I can think about is everything else. And so if, if the definition of seeking God is to be a professional Christian, well, then I'm not sure I can be a God seeker. Or maybe when you hear the word seek, you think of the kids game hide and seek, right? And that's, that's a fun game. My kids love playing hide and seek, and it's great to play. Even as an adult, hide and seek can be fun. Try it. 
But when it comes to your relationship with God, this can be dangerous. Because if we think that we're playing some giant cosmic game of hide and seek with God, then we're going to be looking around every corner, seeing if maybe we can find him or discover him. We're not quite sure where his best hiding spots are. And in those moments where we feel like we can't find him, we convince ourselves it's because he's hiding from us. But that's not God's character. That's not who he is. God is not playing a game of hide and seek. You know how I know? Because of verses like Jeremiah 29, 12, that say this, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. These verses were not written to us. They were written to an ancient people with an ancient context. But here's the thing I know about these verses. They display God's character. They tell us who he is. And he tells us, because of his character, when we pray to him, he listens. When we seek him, we will find him. He's not playing some giant game of hide and seek. And so what then does this word seek mean? Seek is this holistic word. It's not just like adding seek God to your calendar or your to-do list. It's not just spending a certain amount of time trying to perform the task of seeking God. Seeking God is not just creating a category like I go to work, I pick up my kids, I run errands, I seek God. It's not just adding this category. It's this holistic word. It means to engage, to include, to involve God in your everyday life. And We already saw God says he rewards that kind of behavior. That when we seek him, he rewards those who seek him, that engage with him, that include him, that involve him. And here's why. Because it becomes personal. That it's more than just passing notes to God through someone else who goes into the tent of meeting. But Jesus offered us personal relationship. He offered an opportunity for us to engage face-to-face, one-on-one, with the creator of the universe. And that's what it begins to look like to seek God. And here's why this is important. Here's why this matters. Because the, the type of relationship that Jesus is describing, the type of lifestyle, the type of intimacy that he offers in a relationship with God, you can't borrow that kind of intimacy from anyone else. You can't have that kind of relationship with God through someone else. You have to discover it on your own. It's, it's like the difference between knowing about something and knowing something, right? I remember when we found out we were pregnant with our first daughter, Landry. She's six now. I was like, I guess, 32 when we found out, 33 when she was born. And I'm like, okay, at 33 years old, I've lived some life. I had nieces and nephews at this point, and I had been around kids, and I had experienced enough of life that I'm like, I mean, how hard can it be? Yeah. I laughed now, too, okay? But 33-year-old me didn't know that, and so I felt somewhat confident, but just to be safe, okay, I'm not that arrogant. I'm fairly arrogant, but I'm not that arrogant. Just to be safe, I did what any self-respecting first-time dad-to-be would do. I went to the bookstore and bought every single book they had about becoming a parent. 
I watched countless hours of YouTube videos. I downloaded apps on my phone that told me what size the baby was and went from being a pear to a cantaloupe. And then I told my wife that she was carrying a cantaloupe and that didn't go well. And so maybe I didn't have this thing figured out after all. I got around all of my friends who were parents and tried to glean from their experience. I tried to learn from what they had learned as they had become parents. And so as we prepared to go to the hospital, I felt like, okay, I have a fairly good grasp on what it's going to look like to be a parent. But I got to tell you, nothing could have prepared me for the moment that the nurse takes this little baby and puts her in my arms with her 10 fingers and 10 toes and those beautiful eyes looking back at me and her heartbeat and her future hopes and dreams that she didn't even know existed yet and her emotions, all of her emotions and then the nurse says, hey, you get, you get to take this baby home. And I'm like, are, are you sure that's a good idea? I'm like, you'll be fine. Here's what happened. In an instant, everything changed from knowing about what it was like to be a parent to knowing what it was like to be a parent. And that does not mean that I had it all figured out. It doesn't mean that everything has gone perfect or that I don't still have so much to learn, because I know that I do. But something shifted from knowing about to actually knowing. This is the invitation for you and for me. The invitation today that Jesus offers us is, hey, you don't have to just know about God through someone else. You can actually know God. You can actually experience him for yourself. What would it look like for you to include God in your everyday life? To include him in your schedule, in your neighborhood, in the carpool line, in your PTA meetings, in, in your work? What would it look like to include God in every aspect, to engage with him, to involve him, to, to be a God seeker? Like, what would that look like for you? Have you ever thought about the invitation that Jesus offered to the 12 disciples? Like, he, he finds these 12 random guys, seemingly normal knucklehead guys that have lives, they have stories, they have family, some of them have jobs. And all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus shows up in the middle of their reality and extends the exact same invitation to every single one of them. I want to look at that invitation this morning for one of them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus called out to them and said, come, follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, hey, can we meet up? Hey, I think it would be cool if we like put an hour recurring thing on our schedule and we like got together each week and connected. He didn't say like, hey, it'd be nice to hang out sometimes. No, immediately Jesus said, hey, come, come follow me. Come be a part of my rhythm. Come see how I do life. Come let every part of who I am become a part of every part of who you are, that it is actually a part of your life, the fabric of your DNA. Come, follow me. And in a moment, the tent of meeting was no longer needed. It was no longer about somebody else 
going in or us passing notes to God through someone else, Jesus said, hey, we can have a face-to-face relationship. We can have a one-on-one. We can do this together if you'll keep your eyes on me. And it does not mean that God does not use other people. It just means that now we have access for ourselves, and this is such a beautiful thing. It changed everything. It's personal. It's intimate. And when I read verses like Hebrews eleven six, it gives me so much hope because it tells us that we can draw near to God. And it tells us that he rewards those who seek him. You may feel like you don't know how to experience this. Maybe it's been a hard year. Relationally, financially, physically, with your family, at work, whatever it is. I know that we've been going through it and it hasn't been easy. And it can be hard to feel like God is near, but I, I am trying to the best of my ability to offer some hope this morning. That God says you can draw near to him. You can seek him and you will find him. He rewards those who seek him. And as we start to wrap up this morning, I, I want to zoom in on a conversation between this guy named Abram. Abram and Abraham are the same person. He just changes his name later on. And and when we look at the conversation, his name is still Abram, and and he's going through it. He's walking through this really difficult moment and season. He's carrying a lot of weight. He's not sure what to do. There's some fear and anxiety. And and we see this moment play out in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, where God says to him, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. You see this? He's like, hey, I know you're going through it. I know that you feel like I'm not near or you feel like your experience is too much to handle, but hey, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to protect you. I'm your shield. I am your reward. And then we look at verses like Hebrews eleven six 6 that says he rewards those who seek him. And instantly, we see he rewards us with his presence. That's why we can have confidence that when we seek him, we will find him because he offers us his peace. He offers us his grace. That's why David in Psalm 23 can say, hey, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me because he had intimate knowledge and understanding what a relationship with God looked like. I get it. You're busy. I'm busy. We have kids and family and work and deadlines and social things, and and we have all of this stuff pulling in all of our attention. But what if we brought God into all of those things? Rather than separating him out into his own special category, rather than relegating him to a specific time of the week on our calendar, what if we engaged with involved and included God in our everyday moments, in our everyday activities. Now, practically, how do we do that? How can we be God seekers? I want to give you two quick things as we wrap up, and they're going to seem really simple because they are. The first one is this, find time. I know. You're like, Chris, we just talked about this. I'm busy. I have a lot going on. I don't know how to find time. I don't know what this looks like. That's why I'm struggling. That's why I am not experiencing the intimacy that I would desire because I feel like I don't have time. I get it. 
man, I am right there with you. But here is what I discovered. Coming out of 2020, where I felt like I had a lot of time, I think we all had a little extra time on our hands, right? We were stuck at home for a while. I felt like I had a lot of time. I felt like I, I found the rhythm of what it looked like to seek God, to spend time with God. And then as 2021 came and things started to open back up and life started to ramp back up again, I felt like I was constantly struggling to find time and to make time. And I would show up on Sunday mornings and, and all of a sudden realize, man, it has been weeks since I personally have experienced intimacy with God and I am borrowing from Pastor Will's intimacy. And so for me, this is really spiritual. Y'all ready for this? In the car. For me, it's, it's, it's been in the car. This is when I have found time with God. In December of 2020, my family moved south of College Station. It's a further drive than I am used to. And so from the time I leave my house, drop the girls off in the morning, and, and then get to work, it takes about an hour to do that circle. And I'm not used to that. We used to live four minutes down the road. So it was like, boom, I'm at work. Almost like teleporting. I wish. That would be really cool. But that time in the car, that hour has been so life-giving for me. Because it's been a time where I've been able to turn off the radio. No one wants to listen to sports talk right now anyway. Turn off the radio and spend time with God. Maybe I'm, I'm meditating on or thinking about something that he's teaching me or challenging me. Sometimes that's opening up the Bible app and letting it read scripture to me. But it's spending time with God in the car when what else am I going to do? And some of you need some Jesus when you're driving your car. Okay? <laughs> Myself included, especially in traffic in College Station. I need Jesus. But so do the people next to me. But anyway... Whatever that looks like, it's finding time. It's being intentional and making space to engage and include and involve God in the rhythm of what you're already doing. What does it look like for you this week to find time to seek God? And here's the second thing, find community. You cannot do this by yourself. For me, finding community has been two guys in particular. Kyle West and Brandon Razor. They go to this church. They become dear friends of mine. They speak into my life. They challenge me. Now, catch this. There's a difference between seeking God with someone and standing back and letting someone else seek God for you. The tent is not necessary anymore. It can be beneficial, but it's not necessary. We have to take responsibility for our relationship, and it is a lot easier when we do that with other people. Maybe for you, it's joining a small group or it's finding a neighbor or a coworker that you can gather together with, that you can ask hard questions, that you can share your burdens and bear each other's burdens, that you can speak into each other's lives. Don't try to do this by yourself. You weren't created to do this by yourself. Here's what I know. If we seek God, we will find him. God rewards those who seek him with his presence, with himself. He gives us grace and hope, and peace. But here's what I also know. Even when we're doing this, you're still going to have heartache. You're still going to have stress. You're still going to have struggle. Things are still going to go wrong. The difference is when it's personal, when you've experienced that intimacy with Christ, you have a different perspective. I said it earlier, David, Psalm 23. Even when I find myself in the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because I know that you are right beside me. 
I know that your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. That only comes from one place, and that is face-to-face personal relationship with Jesus. What if we shift from knowing about God to knowing God? Here's the thing, and we're going to pray. Maybe today, this is the first time that you need to make this decision. The first time that you need to actually step into a relationship with God and say, hey, I, I need this. I've been pulling from someone else's spiritual intimacy, or maybe I haven't had any spiritual intimacy at all. Or maybe you have a relationship with God. This, seeking God, is a daily decision. It's not a one-time, one-stop, fixes everything. We have to continually choose to engage, include, and involve God in every aspect of our life. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.